You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor from Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak to Dr. Rachel Mote about her consulting business and how she created a certification course. Dr. Rachel Mote, MS, PhD, is an equine nutritionist for high gain and owner of Legacy Equine Nutrition. She earned her BS in equine science from the University of Wisconsin River Falls, her MS in animal science from North Dakota State University, and her PhD in nutrition and animal science from the University of Minnesota. Professionally, Rachel has worked with horse owners all over the world in roles as an invited lecturer college professor, and consulting equine specialist for numerous equine nutrition companies. She has worked with the FEI and Olympic competitors in numerous disciplines and has successfully formulated diets for thousands of horses. Her recent invited lectures include stops in New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and all over the United States with an emphasis on dietary intervention for various equine gastrointestinal conditions. Dr. Mote currently owns and operates her equine nutrition consulting business and teaches equine nutrition courses to veterinarians and equine professionals. She has worked with clients in nearly every continent of the world and is currently focusing equine nutrition education efforts in several European countries. She is active in the competitive equestrian world of Hunter Jumper and owns two horses and a dog. She lives on a farm in Ocala, Florida and spends her free time watching competitions at the local World Equestrian Center. Hi, Rachel. It's so glad to have you on. And we're excited to talk to you about your business and your career and, you know, um, find out more and be able to have people learn from your experience as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, too. Really happy that um, Michelle from Triple Crown Feed had it kind of introduced us so that we could kind of connect about this because she was super excited about um, the program that you have going right now. Yeah, she's currently one of my students and it's it's funny and I'll talk about this once we get into our chat, how what you think you're going to do as your business really morphs and has connected me with some really great people like Michelle. So excited to talk about that more. Yeah, that's great. So wanted to start out talking about how you you actually worked kind of in the corporate setting in corporate sales and now you're in consulting. So what was the biggest shift that you had to make when you moved working in the corporate sales into running your own consulting business? I would say the biggest shift would be, you know, you go from such a team structure to being, you know, like a one-man band or a Mm -hmm. one-person show. And it's such a different feeling. And I still, to this day, kind of miss that that co-worker structure and being on a team. You know, the benefits of running your own business, for me, outweigh being in that corporate structure. But it was a really different feeling going from a team to an individual setting. Um, there's so many shifts that happen, you know, and just how you have to work, how you've got to motivate yourself. But that was, um, the biggest one to me and working a hundred percent remotely. For sure. Yeah. Did you feel lonely at first? 
You know, I did. And some days I still feel that way. But the trade-off for me is huge because I can work and do my business from anywhere in the world. And last year I spent two months in, you know, on different continents. So there's some huge benefits to it. But yeah, for me personally, sometimes it's hard not having coworkers, definitely. But you know, you learn to make sure that you interface with people during the day in some capacity. So maybe working at a coffee shop or just taking time during the day to run errands and be around people. If you're a people person, for individuals who are okay spending more time on their own, it can be a really good fit doing remote consulting. But for me, I have to make sure I incorporate some people activity during the day. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things that you do to uh, to get people time? Is there anything well, specific? You know, I, I still do try and incorporate on-farm visits. So the nature of my consulting business is going to be, of course, talking to people about their horse's nutrition program. And being on farm is usually the best way to do that. And I live in Ocala, Florida, which is such a huge horse hub. Um, however, you know, we have people that are here during a very concentrated period of the year. People come usually like January through April, and then they go elsewhere because it gets too hot down here. So I do see people more often during that time when uh, it's show season, a lot of people are around. But I would say just socially, I try and make sure that I connect with people, have conversations, plan dinners, go to the barn where one of my horses is at that's in a training program. Today, this afternoon, this sounds really silly, but I took a little trip up to the dump because I had to, <laughs> to, to take out the trash because the garbage man doesn't come to my house in Ocala. So, I mean, there's little things that I try and sprinkle throughout my day so that I make sure I have that um, human contact instead of just me and my dog and the horses at my farm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And what um, skills do you think you were able to transfer when you went from sales to consulting on your own? So the wonderful thing about having worked in sales is that you get such a good foundation in business. If you work for a good company, you get a really good foundation in identifying what a prospective client needs, how to listen for those cues in what they're telling you that they do need, and how to articulate that you can solve a very specific problem for them. So when I had started my job in sales for um, Lando Lakes Purina, I had been trained as a scientist and I'm like, I'm not a salesperson, but mm -hmm. really everyone who works in some type of business, you know, nothing, there's no viable business without making a sale. And even though I do consulting now, it really is selling the fact that I can solve these different problems through nutrition. So mm -hmm. it's my job to be able to, like I mentioned before, articulate that and working in a sales role really helped set me up to do that well and to listen to my customers and really understand what they were trying to communicate that they need from me. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, a lot of other skills from sales that, that translated, but I would say that was the biggest one for me. Yeah. And I think if you do go into business for yourself and, you know, you're, 
the person that everyone has to talk to, you are a salesperson no matter what, <laughs> no matter, you know, if yeah. because it is trying to get people to buy into what you are selling. A hundred percent. And when I worked, you know, started in sales, like I mentioned, I was like, what am I doing? I'm not a salesperson, but everyone sells in some capacity, whether we're selling who we are to a prospective employer or to the people who we want to work with, we're all consistently doing some form of selling, whether we realize it or not. Mm-hmm. And when you work in a role like that professionally, you get to to fine tune the art of successfully selling and working with people, understanding how people want to be communicated with. Mm-hmm. So that really helped set me up for the business I do now. Right. I do think sales teaches a lot and it really makes you kind of um, think outside the box and also maybe push yourself in areas that you might not be comfortable with. I was recently reading a book and the the author was talking about how like he went into sales because he was terrified to speak in front of people. And there was a company that had a really great training program, a great sales training program. And he got a job at that company to learn those skills. And I think that they are like in they're applicable to any kind of business, whether you want to be a salesperson or not. I think it's super important to understand what sales is so that even if you're in a supporting role, you're able to further help the company. Yeah, absolutely. And that sounds like an interesting book because a sales role would be so scary for someone who didn't feel comfortable speaking publicly or, you know, you have to get really good at talking to all types of people and not everyone wants to be communicated with in the same way. So yeah, it must've been a super interesting book. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was thinking about it cause I was like, Oh, you know what? I, I mean, I did some public speaking in college and in high school, but you know, because they basically force you to, but now I like get up and give presentations and can talk in front of people, no problem. And, you know, I think that the sales, uh, has given my sales job has given me a lot of those skills to do that. Oh, excellent. And Rachel, you mentioned, you know, the different ways that people um, like to be communicated with. What kind of ways do you see um, from your job and now in sales and now in consulting? So that's a great question. And you know, having worked for in the corporate atmosphere, they train you a lot for this, a good company will. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a training called Versatile Salesperson, which helped you identify what, you know, communication style you had and identify the different communication styles that people have. And in some degree, especially when you're in a sales role, part of what you're trying to do is mirror a communication style that you're picking up from that other person. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's some people like clients of mine that want to get to know me and talk to me about where they live and their family. And there's some people that are going to be all business, you know, very yep. analytical, very um, focused on the task at hand only. And it's important for us to know as an entrepreneur that I'm going to, you know, make that person uncomfortable if I'm trying to make small talk with them and they just really want to focus on the task versus if I ignore that in the individual who wants to, 
to get to know me a little and wants to know about me as a person, you know, that they may feel a bit slighted if I don't give some attention there. So, you know, what I had learned from working in the corporate world is some mirroring or really to try and pick up on those cues of how the individual wants to be communicated with. And I think in my head, there were some clients that I worked with and um, some of them kind of exhausted me because I, I'm not, um, I'd say I'm fairly energetic, but I had some clients that would talk like a hundred miles per hour and I would try really hard to bring that energy to the conversation because I knew that's how they liked being communicated with. And so I really sometimes have to step outside of my comfort zone to match that, but it does make me a better business person because it makes more people or more diverse audience feel like they can connect with me on a personal level in a way that feels comfortable to them. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I do think that's really important. And I've, I've had this conversation with several people because my company is not strict about what we wear when we go out in the field, you know, at meetings, even at conferences, it's very casual, wear jeans, wear sweaters and logoed shirts, but it's never like show up in heels or show up in dresses or show up in fancy dress pants because we're communicating with veterinarians who are out in the field. They're on the go, you know, and, and we, we want to be approachable. Right. And we want to kind of like interact with them, the, where they're out in the field on the same level. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to go in there and be like all dolled up and, you know, stepping over horse poop in heels like, Oh gosh, (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm going to grab a tail if they're doing rectals or something and help out. And, (laughs) and so I've, I've had that conversation with other people though, because I think that there are some businesses out there who may have leaders that came from maybe a different type of sales company and have a different type of sales strategy. And I'm like, okay, literally you're not in a car dealership anymore, guys. You are selling to farmers. Your customers are farmers. I don't think you need to wear button down shirts and ties into your office where the only people who are there are you guys. Mm -hmm. And if you do have to go out to a farm, I'm pretty sure the farmer's not going to appreciate you showing up and, you know, um, fancy leather shoes and, and um, dress pants. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I remember, yeah, making farm calls, they would say, you need to look the part. People need to be able to identify with you. So if yeah. you go, you know, you still have to present yourself as an authority in a knowledge area or in a certain, um, you know, discipline. That doesn't mean, though, that you have to come off as arrogant or be dressed, you know, in a certain category that doesn't resonate with that individual. So that's so true on so many levels. Mm. I think it goes back to knowing your audience and, you know, these are not uh, kind of faceless people online that you're selling to. These are, like you said, you're talking face to face with them and, and knowing not only their communication style, but, you know, they have to trust you and know that um, that you understand what they're doing and what they need. Uh, so, looking the part and knowing, you know, the horses and the business is equally as important. I think. And I love that you just mentioned. You know, they have to trust you. Mm. And you know, when people 
feel like, you know, I tell people that take my course that are going into maybe offering equine nutrition consulting as a service. I'm like, there's a few qualities you have to have when you are going to work with people. They have to know, like, and trust you. Mm -hmm. And they really have to feel like you care about them and their animals. And that does need to be very genuine, very authentic for this to work. So I'm happy that you brought up that that trust piece, because that's also very important in the right. work I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to trust someone if I'm buying a pair of sweatpants, but if I'm buying, you know, something that is keeping my animal alive, then yeah, I need to know that you know what you're talking about and yeah, it's mm-hmm. gonna, it's gonna work. And are there other skills you think are important when building a consulting business? I would say the biggest one I've touched on a bit already would be being very good with communicating with a whole diverse array of individuals. You do have to be organized to some degree and organization, you know, usually I've got about a hundred irons in the fire at any given time. As long as you can stay organized and follow up in a timely manner with your clients and, you know, delegate where you need to, those are some really important things too. And I would say, you know, I've worked with business coaches um, over the past several years since I started my business. And one of them had said to me something that always resonates with me. He's like, you need to think like a CEO. And, you know, when it, that's that ties into the word I just used, delegating. Mm. So you have to get good at handing off tasks and stay in your zone of genius and being able to recognize where that is as you're running your business, where your time is best spent, where it's most productively spent, and giving some of those tasks that are more trivial or can be done by, you know, a number of other different people handing those off. Those are all things that I think are good to have. But that that strength in communication is the biggest thing you need, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's kind of a common theme um, that we've heard from a lot of business owners about, you know, kind of knowing what you what you can do and then knowing what you don't know and passing that off to somebody else or finding appropriate people. And I think sometimes we get stuck in um, doing so much ourselves, especially in the equine industry, but also that we don't look outside like virtual virtual assistants and, you know, other places where they, those people can help you run your business on tasks that you don't have to actually do yourself, right? Yeah. And like you just said, knowing what you don't know, and then to add to that, being okay with that and hiring it out because you will waste so much time trying to figure out how to build your own website, you know, and update it. Or there's all these little things like being okay with not being the tech pro in your business, hiring someone to do that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That really resonated with me because I think about the things I've tried to do and then just have been like, you know what, I'm going to hire a professional to do this and it's going to be 10 times better than I can do. And yeah, I'm going to spend a little money hiring that person, but in the end, I'm going to take that time to work with my clients and prospects and make better use of that time. So yeah, I like how you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we 
um, a couple of ladies on and I mean, they don't have an employee to help run their business. They've outsourced everything. And I just find that incredible that they were able to, you know, network and find out what they needed to in order to sell their product. And they don't have to touch their product and they just outsourced. And I was like, wow, that that is something that I think more people should look into and do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What does a successful consulting business look like? Oh, wow. That is such a huge question. And it's, I like that question because when I started my business, I would probably hand you something that was maybe a bit more monetary in nature. I'd say like, well, successful consulting looks like making this number of dollars per year. And once you do, you know, you start your business and you have a bit of success and you're like, this really isn't about, um, at least for me personally, it's not about making more money. It's about being able to impact positively more lives of humans and horses. So for me, when I think about what success looks like, I think about how many lives could I touch or impact this year and how do I multiply that? And for me, teaching others how to do the skill that I do professionally is a way that I can expand my reach and help more horses and help more owners. So I feel like for me, it's evolved a bit. I mean, there's certain benchmarks that you want to hit to be able to maintain your lifestyle. But once you do that, I feel like it becomes much more about how many horses can I help each year? And it's hard to put a number on that. I do a lot of um, free public seminars that are educational in nature for horse owners. And of course, I teach people in my courses every year and that keeps growing for me. And that's something that I'm able to expand my reach with. So I think, you know, for me, like I said, it started as something more monetary. I want to make X amount of dollars in the first year or second year. And then you do that and you blow it out of the water and you're like, okay, it's time to do some soul searching. Why am I really doing this? And what gives me satisfaction? Because what you find is when you hit a little bit of success and not, you know, I wouldn't say anything crazy has happened with me in my business, but it, it's been a good business for me. But you hit this point and you're like, this isn't really what's driving me. Yeah. It really is more about the people. And thinking about that is really what keeps me going in my business. I think that's a great way to look at it because, and to not discount the financial factor, right? I mean, if you're just starting a business and you've maybe quit a comfortable job somewhere, then yes, money is the most important factor when you're getting started. And, you know, I think most people are lying if they said that money doesn't play a part in having a and what success means to them. But um, I think being able to change, you know, once you have that financial stability and looking at uh, what makes you happier, how you want to spend your time, or um, like you said, what makes the business successful to you can change. Um, and, you know, it's it maybe not is financially motivated all the time. Well, and I always encourage people to think about, you know, how much money do you feel like you need to sustain your lifestyle? 
because, you know, my first year and a half in business, I worked with business coaches and working with a coach is a, it's a really positive thing. However, you know, they're so dollar and cent focused, like, you know, you've got a business worth this amount of money every year and you really have to do some soul searching and tell yourself, okay, there's an infinite amount of money out there. What do I actually need and what am I aiming for? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, anybody could say, well, I'm aiming to make, you know, in the next 10 years, I want to have a business that makes a million dollars annually or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So you can have these goals, but you, I mean, sometimes we get lost in trying to hit those goals and end up overdoing it and working ourselves into the ground where we really lose sight of what is more important. And that's our impact and our ability to serve the community that we work in. So for me, I would say, you know, I got pushed really hard early on by these coaches, like you need to be doing this and this and this and this started running myself to the ground. And I'm like, I really need to think about what I actually want to be doing and how much I need to make to live a comfortable life. And from there, things beyond that are a bonus, but it's um, kind of a shift of mindset I've had to do. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we had a networking brunch a couple of weeks ago and our keynote speaker, her entire business now is about, um, you know, social purpose for companies. And, she believes that every single company should have some sort of social purpose based on what's important to you or, you know, what your company stands for. And by having that, it will make you more successful in the long run. Um, and it'll be more fulfilling. Uh, I think that ties in really well with what you're talking about. That's so true. I mean, that's what gets you out of bed in the morning because Mm -hmm. after a while, I mean, I mean, some people, maybe money will get them out of bed every day for the rest of their life, but I feel like a lot of people out there want that purpose. So mm-hmm. I would agree with that, that aligning your business with that is going to make you feel like you've really accomplished something in your life. Especially horse people, you know, it's or for people in the equestrian industry. I mean, there's a ton of money in this industry, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. I think you know, a vast majority of the people who are in it are in it because of the animals and what the animal gives to them. And um, there's something a little more meaningful in that and being in this industry than just making a ton of money. I agree. Yeah, definitely. So now that you have your own consulting business, what does it look like for you in having repeat customers? Is it a lot of one-time consulting jobs or do they come back to you? Yeah. So that's a great question. And actually something that makes me think about things I could be doing better in my business, but the nature of nutrition consulting and the people that come to me, you know, equine nutrition, just like human nutrition is ever evolving. And in horses, you know, you might have a season where you're showing and competing every weekend, and then you have the winter time where you're not doing a whole lot of anything with your horse. Or maybe you have a horse that is recently diagnosed with something, um, you know, metabolic issue that is going to dictate what they need 
from a nutritional standpoint, and it could be something degenerative that is going to continue with the remaining life of the horse. So nutritional needs are constantly changing. So for Mm -hmm. me, I would say I do have a fair amount of repeat customers. Um, You know, just today I actually had two follow-ups and if I get people's horses in my system, it gets so in my business system where I've got their background, their history, you know, what they've been eating for however long I've been working with them. It's really easy for me to connect with those owners and do a follow-up and say, okay, we can tweak this based on what you have going on now. And they say, you know, people who have already done business with you, that's kind of your low-hanging fruit, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Those are the people who already know, like, and trust you. So when you think of it from a sales perspective, those individuals are likely to hire you again or to do some type of follow-up. So with that question, it just makes me think of, you know, there's probably more things I could be doing by checking in with people who I've worked with before. Oftentimes they refind me and come back to me, but it's really smart as a business owner to check in with those people and see if they want to connect again, especially in the field I'm in because nutritional needs change all the time. I think that could apply to so many different types of businesses and you know, isn't it the reason that you get five follow-up emails after you buy something online? It's because they want to connect with you again and they want to sell to you again. So, and half the time you're like, well, yeah, I do need another pair of shoes. So um, (laughs) I think that could definitely apply to anyone really. And, you know, this being a little more, uh, more personal in being able to track, you know, the health of someone's horse, but for sure. That follow-up is so important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I know I am thinking back to like the number of times when I was younger and I was teaching lessons and somebody would come for one riding lesson and I might never hear from them again. And I never followed up to see like, I'm just like, oh, they'll probably just call me when they're ready again. Right. And <laughs> probably like if you called them a week later, I was like, oh, did you kid really like that lesson? And, you know, do you want to book again? I probably would have had more people come back. Mm-hmm. For sure. Just reminding them. <laughs> and so this is a bit more of like a in the weeds question, but, um, you know, do you recommend having contracts with clients? You know, for the the type of business that I do and, you know, when you say a contract, for me, I do enter some, you know, I use air quotes, contracts with clients where what I do with every client before I work with them is I have them hop on a call with me and I do what is commonly referred to as a strategy session. So this is, you know, five to 15 minutes where I can get to know them a little bit and really understand what they need help with with their horse. And upon doing this, what I can hear is, you know, some people, I can visit with them one time, give them a program, send them on their way, everything's going to be fine. But there are some clients that I'll refuse to do that with. And I'll say, you know what, I want us to work together a minimum of two months. I'm guessing this is going to be a three-month project. If you have someone with a horse that's got a severe you know, metabolic issue or muscle myopathy or 
underweight or overweight and really is in a situation where you need some longer term oversight. And what I tell them is, you know, I'd be happy and I could give you a program that would be the right fit for a horse in your horse's situation right now. But over the next few months, this is going to change. And we want to make sure based on the health parameters we're dealing with, that this is the best fit. Now, based on my experience, of course, it is going to be, you know, based on everything on paper, but we're also dealing with a living, breathing animal. And we need to make sure that we are on the best path for your horse to be successful at overcoming whatever kind of challenge we're going through. So Mm -hmm. I would say, I suggest in a consulting role, really before you give people the option of how they're going to work with you, understanding the situation of why they want to work with you and some of the parameters there within, because I'm not setting anyone up to be successful or their horse to thrive. You know, if I've got someone that has a horse with some serious nutritional needs that are going to evolve, you know, based on maybe their next vet visit or based on what happens in the next month, I could hand them a program, but that's not going to be my best work. And it's not going to give them the result that they're seeking. If I just hand them, you know, a one-time consult and say, okay, good luck. See you Mm -hmm. later. So I think contracts, um, they look a little bit different in the work that I do versus what some other individuals do. But for me, you know, I'm going to recommend that longer term program. And I don't write up a specific contract, but I do that strategy session and say, here's here's what that's going to cost to work together for the next few months. And here's what that's going to look like. So I won't even offer that one and done type of consult with those individuals. Right. That's where that communication comes in handy and knowing (laughs) and being able to tell them, you know, look, this is what you've told me and this is what I recommend and and Mm -hmm. realizing what is going to be best for their horse. Yeah. And you have to think about too, as an entrepreneur, you know, what is going to be the best reflection of my work? Because Mm -hmm. some of those individuals who you know, they're, when they talk to you, you know that they need a longer term program. If you just offered them that shorter term program for maybe a lower cost or whatever it may be, and they take you up on it, and a month later they're struggling, that's not a good reflection on your capability in your area of expertise. So I think it's really important to listen to those clues and know what, you know, an experience does this with one, know how much time it's going to take to get that turnaround, be realistic about, okay, here's where you're trying to get based on what I've done. Here's how long we should work together to make sure we can make that happen. Mm-hmm. It kind of has to be a little more fluid than some other traditional type consulting roles where, you know, you're coming in, you have X job, it's going to take you five days to do it and that's it, right? So now you've got this whole other component with the horse in it. And sometimes they play nice with us and sometimes they don't. <laughs> so, so true. Right? So we have to throw that in as well and be like, oh, you know what? It's probably going to take this, but, you know. Uh, having that second mind in there always puts a kink in things, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you try and um, 
be as realistic as possible and say, you know, based on what I've done before, this will probably be a three to six month project. And if we need to extend our program, we absolutely can. But yeah, you always, when you're dealing with horses, dealing with this living, breathing organism with a unique metabolism and unique feed preferences and taste palate. So it adds an extra mm-hmm. element into everything. Yeah. yeah. Very sensitive stomachs. Yes, that too. <laughs> uh, sensitive everything. I, I have this thoroughbred. Every time I look at him, he's got hives and I have no idea why. And we're just like, oh, okay. Like, Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the other part of your business, which is a certification course that you've developed. Yeah. I think that's, um, I I thought that was like a really interesting part of it. Um, So what was the biggest challenge that you had when you were developing a certification course? I would say the biggest challenge in doing that really, I mean, for me, having worked in the nutrition industry, you know, for over a decade, I knew what people wanted. I knew what students would would need to know going into this if they wanted to do what I'd been doing the last decade. One of the biggest challenges is really disciplining yourself to sit down, record and write curriculum and finish it. It's, you know, it's really difficult and there's hundreds of hours of content that I've created, but if you're someone like me who really likes being on the go, being outdoors, moving, not sitting behind a desk, it can be um, difficult to chip away at this huge project. And that's how you need to approach it. You've got to chip away at it and you've got to be very disciplined to sit down and, and actually do it. I would say that was probably one of my biggest challenges um, was that self-discipline. And when you work for yourself, you know, there's nobody that's like, okay, you've got this deadline, you've got to do it. It's really just you telling yourself, like, there's people relying on me. I need to do this. Um, but I mean, your hand's not going to get slapped if you don't meet a deadline because you make the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to develop it? Oh, my gosh. It's the first course I made. I don't know, like, what I look back at that time and I'm like, how did I do that? I just took a few months. I got super inspired by this business course that I took and it took at least three months, you know, of sitting there and just creating content. And I've been creating um, a second course. So an advanced course that I've been chipping away at piece by piece for like the last year and a half. And it's, that's a big part of difficulty for me. So before I hopped on this session with you both, I was working on a presentation on um, fatty acid, uh, you know, absorption and metabolism. And I'm working on academic type presentations for my students. And it's stuff that's really easy for me to spout out and to say to people and to apply into what I'm doing, but to sit down and actually write out all that knowledge um, can be really difficult. So I just, I keep chipping away at it and I've gotten amazing students that, um, you know, love this content and I love it too, but it's, it's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) And if somebody was looking to make 
courses in, and make this a business, right? Because, you know, I think that there's um, a lot of people out there who are are doing things like this to add some income or or have a more flexible schedule in their life. So they're so they're looking to make courses. Do you think there's any kind of specific qualification somebody would need to do that? Well, it's interesting you ask that because if you look out there, you're going to see courses from every Joe Schmo up to, you know, your veterinarian, there's a whole gamut of people that are creating courses. And there are so many platforms that make it so easy to do so and so easy for users to get on and to get your content. But, you know, personally, I think it's really important to be an expert in your topic of choice, to be somebody who truly does understand at a very high level what you're teaching. You're not teaching something that you just learned within the past, you know, few like month or so, but it's something that you've really taken time to synthesize and you're an expert in. And, you know, these courses that are out there, um, because there are so many of them, which we saw a lot more online learning type of things come up after COVID, I think, you know, it's really important that you, if you're trying to make that a viable portion of your business, you have to set yourself apart and you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. And even just this morning, I was talking to someone who's joining my course. I've got a session that's starting up next month. And she's like, you know, I listened to this informational session you had recorded and your energy and how you approach this and how you interact with people really spoke to me. So you have to make sure that, you know, a qualification or that's what I feel like a qualification should be that you're very passionate, especially about the topic, but not only that, but also about your students and their experience going through your course. Because like I said, there's so many courses out there, you know, there's universities that offer nutrition courses that, you know, I'm a private business that offers this and it's different from what universities offer, but it's, it's a different feeling and people want to work with people that, that resonate with them, that they like, that they feel comfortable with, that they feel like care about them. So, you know, qualifications, like I said, Everyone and their grandma's got a course now, but you've got to have passion. You got to know your topic and you've got to love your, your students. Otherwise, I think it'd be really difficult to make a go of it. What was your motivation behind starting it? Like, why did you think it was necessary to have this type of course? So the reason I thought this was something valuable is because When I worked in the corporate world, I trained a number of interns, people at feed stores and the whole gamut and did tons of horse owner workshops. And I taught so many people how to identify what their horse needed nutritionally. And through doing that, it made me realize that most horse owners don't have a good grasp on how to properly feed their horse, which... I don't blame them. You know, there's so many things to think about with your horse. And a lot of times horse owners aren't directly involved in the nutrition. But what I realized through doing all those different activities is that this is something you don't need a PhD to do. This is a skill that can be taught to people who have a passion in this area. And so from that, I discovered that this is something that 
can help a lot of horse owners. There aren't very many people out there doing it outside of people who work for feed companies. And there's a huge need, especially for people who are doing this independently, unaffiliated with a feed company. Of course, if someone works for a feed company, that's great too. But the need for an unbiased nutrition advisor is very great. So I realized, you know, this could be an avenue to explore. And it started as a course where I was just giving people education. Mm -hmm. But then it turned into me saying, you know what, I've made this a viable business, I can help other people do this too. And it transformed into something I never could have guessed it would become. But it's something that people have taken and made their own and worked with so many owners with that you know, it's become something bigger than I could have imagined and something that's extremely gratifying and just really, you know, fills my heart to be able to do this kind of work. That's great to hear. I think starting a second business while you already have, you know, your own other consulting business, it really is a labor of love and it has to be, you know, something that uh, you care about and Maybe it helps others, but that certainly gives even more um, meaning behind it and makes it worthwhile for the time and effort you're putting into it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have mostly women that are in your program? I do. It is mostly women. There are a few men that have come through, but um, yeah, my experience has been mostly women thus far. And they go on to use it um, to make their own consulting business? Yeah. So a lot of people who come through my program and, you know, some many of them want to offer this as a service. And a lot of them are professionals and maybe they do body work. Maybe they're um, a trainer, instructor, barn owner. And a lot of them want to make this a service because they're being asked a lot about nutrition already and then I'll have professionals, I've had a number of veterinarians and vet techs come through as well that want to add this to their business model. And then I'll have a group of people who are just like, I just love this topic and want to have intelligent conversations about equine nutrition. So I'm going to take your course so that I can do that. And maybe someday it'll make me money. Maybe someday it won't. But I just, I love this topic and want to learn more. And that's really cool. So how did you determine what you were going to charge for a course like this? Oh, gosh, that's that is one of the hardest things when you're an <laughs> entrepreneur. Definitely. <laughs> like, especially when you don't have like a product, you know, somebody yes. orders this product and you can look at a market and price yourself based on that. But what going through um, the business coaching that I did taught me is looking at it as more of, you know, what, what is the value of what I'm providing? Because it's not something you can look at and say, well, it has this many hours of content. If I charged it, you know, or priced it based on, you know, an hourly rate or something like that, you know, you just can't do that. You have to look at the value and you have to look at what it's giving back. And it's something, you know, through business coaching that, um, you just kind of learn how to price yourself appropriately and how to make sure that you're asking 
what that course is worth. And I will tell you, my course is not by a long shot the cheapest out there. It is not, but I 100% believe that how I have it priced, you know, is actually even very fair, maybe even a bit on the low end for what people get from it. And the value that it brings to people who have this skill for their own horses, if they can make dietary changes that change the life of their own horses, if they can pass that on to people, charge them for it and have people with a horse that's more healthy, lives, you know, the next five years without vet bills that are avoided because of the better nutritional program they're on. So the value of it is huge. And I think, you know, without, you know, going down a rabbit hole on this, you really have to think about the value of your product and not look at it as an hourly dollar and cents kind of thing, but bigger picture. What am I imparting? I'm imparting a skill that someone will have for the rest of their life that any single horse out there can benefit from. So that was something that I had to go into pricing with. And, you know, for me to sell my course, it's really important that I visit with people and explain the value of it. Because a lot of people will send me messages and be like, you know, what is the cost of your program? I'm like, well, before I give you that information, let's talk. Because mm-hmm. if your goals are to do this in some kind of professional capacity or maybe for info for a large herd that you're managing, this course is going to pay for itself within a few months. And, you know, price is only an issue in the absence of perceived value. So for me, it's really important to actually talk to people, make sure that, you know, not only they're a good fit for the community, but, you know, they have a viable chance of being able to use this information. But the course always pays for itself, always. But people need to hear from me and chat with me before they realize, oh, okay, I understand this is more than just going through a course. It's really a lifelong skill that, like I mentioned, can help any horse out there. Do you also help people who complete the course kind of figure out what their pricing for consulting would be going forward? Or do you kind of leave that up to them? So I leave it up to them, but it's it's interesting. When I talk to people in the first call that I do with them, because I send them an informational session often, you know, if their criteria and the application they fill out matches what I think, you know, could be a good fit for the course, I'll send them an informational session and then I'll talk with them and I'll tell them, you know, here's the amount that recent advisor graduates are charging and here's what they're getting. And when people start, you know, the course will be like, wow, you know, that kind of feels like a lot. By the end of it, they're like, oh my gosh, I should be charging three times more because they really understand the value. And through the business sessions in this course, I talk a lot about that, you know, helping them understand the value and helping articulate that to people who might want to work with them. But I I tell them, I give them a bit of a structure, like here's what I would suggest, here's why. And another interesting thing that happened is the first cohort that I did for this course Some of them, you know, you kind of peruse and see who else is doing this type of thing. And they went to the website of a PhD that is also offering consulting. 
And one of them came back or a couple of them, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm charging more than this, than this PhD who's got all this experience. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. And it's not your fault that that person is not charging what they're worth because this service has, you know, an immeasurable value to it. There's not a dollar value you can put on this. And it's not up to you to compare yourself and say, well, this person, you know, only charges this, so I should be charging that. No, you really have to think about the value and and price yourself based on that. I love that. Yeah, (laughs) so I do too. It is, it is because I think so many times, you know, people are trying to gain more business, so they're cheaper, or Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to undercut this guy or whatever. And I think, I think in the long run, what happens is you get burnt out because you aren't making money, you aren't making what your value is, and so in the long run, you're kind of maybe you have a lot of business or you, you know, have these clients, but I think that if you're not feeling like you are valued in the long run, you're going to be burnt out from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, understanding what you're worth is a huge part of the, the business and entrepreneurial process and feeling confident in charging that and confidently stating it. I tell my students that too. And it's, you know, I am fairly unapologetically, you know, I am priced higher than a lot of nutritionists in the market, but I know my worth. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that my students know their worth too. And I don't get a lot of kickback. You know, some people won't work with you because of that, but the people who are meant to work with you will, and they will understand how much value you bring them. It's not just a a basic consult. It's a service. You know, it's a whole process that they go through with you. So there's a lot of value added there on top of creating a diet for their horse. So I um I feel really confident in how I'm priced. I'm not priced the same as other people doing the same thing, but I offer something very different. You know, we've never truly talked about that with anyone on the podcast before that I can remember. And it's so important. I think, you know, there's always going to be companies out there that are going to undercut your pricing. And, you know, I've had even potential clients ask me, you know, I've talked to so-and-so, why are you, why are you charging twice what they charge? And I'm able to, you know, very confidently say, because we deliver a better service. We will do a better job. The quality is better. And um, I think that, yeah, not, not just recognizing that, but owning it and being very sure of it is really important. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of us shy away from the money topic and how much to charge and feeling confident in that, but you do really need to, and you need to think about the service that you're offering. It's not like you're just, you know, for most of us slapping a price tag on something and saying, well, you know, because I've got these initials behind my name, I just cost Mm -hmm. this amount. Mm -hmm. It's really, you know, the quality of the work that you're doing and you do want to be accessible to everyone, but at the same time, you know, luckily the kind of work I do the value 
is pretty instant. Most of the consults I do actually pay for themselves because the knowledge that I can impart in with many horse owners is most of the supplements they're feeding are completely unnecessary. <laughs> so you've got, you know, thousands of dollars in savings from uh, the one hour consult that we've done just, you know, right there. So it's paid for itself and then quite a bit. So it's, uh, I think it's important for entrepreneurs and women, you know, men too, of course, but for us to be okay with talking about money. It's not something that I feel like should be so taboo. But like I mentioned before, I'm pretty unapologetically priced as I am, mm -hmm. but I deliver and I know I do. And I am confident and I've helped numerous women in the same industry raise their prices, charge what they're worth. Mm -hmm. Being offered a job and going back to the table and saying, no, you're going to pay me this amount and getting 10,000 more. Right. I think we have to advocate for each other as, you know, equine entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, that it's, it's a topic that is okay to talk about. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, at the end of each episode, we ask the same four questions to each guest and Connor starts with the first. Okay. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Oh gosh. Um, geez. These rapid fire questions. I know. <laughs> like, very thought provoking. So one action to make an impact in their lives, I guess to piggyback on what I just said, charge what they're worth and mm -hmm. be confident in their ability to deliver. <laughs> I like that. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Um, the best habit is actually um, just the habit I have of owning horses that keeps me motivated because in Ocala, Florida, they cost a fortune to keep. <laughs> like, my horse habit motivates me to work, but um there's an internal drive, I feel like, that entrepreneurs have to just get up and do it. And I am very blessed to have that drive. And it's not something I think you can really teach or, you know, you can inspire others. But I'm very lucky that every day I wake up and really love what I do. And I hope for other people they can find what they love, too, so that they feel good about waking up and doing it. Otherwise, as an entrepreneur your ambition towards what you're doing is going to wane and it's just not going to go well. What's your favorite horse movie? Oh, this one's so easy. Um, wild hearts can't be broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a classic. It's so good. And so good. oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good I one. might have to, to look it up on like Amazon prime or something see if it's out there because it's been probably a decade since i've seen it and i could still recite most of it i love it <laughs> and finally who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast oh future guest i mean there are so many interesting horse people out there that man if you can dream it up people are doing it with a horse but <laughs> I mean, if I think of the nutrition world, I think of a good friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Claire Tunis. She writes for the horse publication, but I have um, 
another really interesting friend who's going to be riding in the Mongol Derby this year. Her name is Dr. Sam Fielding. She has a really cool story and she does a lot of um, mindset and overcoming trauma work. She's almost quite similar to a sports psychologist. She's trained as an acupuncturist, but she, um, you know, when you think about mindset and she's been through similar coaching programs as I have, mm-hmm. she has such a cool, powerful story that, um, that people are often very inspired by. She's been on Warwick Schiller. She's been on um, a number of other, you know, really big podcast type of things. And I think she'd be great to have because um, if anyone will inspire you, Dr. Sam Fielding will. So that's who I would recommend. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, we've had so much fun talking to you. And I think, you know, so much of what you said, while specific to what you do in the industry, can be applied in so many different ways in different businesses. So we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely. This was really fun. And thank you for having me. Anytime I can talk about business and what I've learned along the way, I love doing that. And you know, for me, it didn't come cheap. I had to invest in a lot of business coaching to um, figure out what I know now. And I'm happy to share that with anyone willing to listen. That's great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. I loved how easily Rachel was able to explain what she does and the importance behind it. Um, You know, you can tell she's obviously passionate about it. And I just love talking to people like that. Yeah, she's really passionate about her business, but I think that she made so many really great points that are applicable to like other businesses and consulting and even not in consulting some of the things that she said. And um, and she did. She kind of broke it down and it was very easy to understand what she was saying. For sure. And relatable. And, you know, the fact that she feels like her certification course is a way of giving back um, was, I think, really meaningful. And, um, you know, like you and I don't do equestrian business women to make a fortune. Um, <laughs> we do it because we love it and we want to be able to, you know, provide something to someone. And um, I think that's great that that's her motivation as well. Um, And, you know, we've talked to a few financial experts and, and people about money, but I think she's the first kind of business owner not connected to, well, you know, there've been a couple who said, yeah, you need to know where every penny of your money goes, but we never talked to anybody about pricing really. So that, that part of the conversation really stuck out to me because Um, she was able to say, you know, here's what I charge. Here's why I charge it. Here's why it's important. And you should do the same. Yeah. I I think that one of the biggest takeaways I had is her saying that you, you don't look at it in like an hourly dollar sense and you have to look at the, the long-term value that you're providing. Right. And, you know, I, I think that really struck me because so many times we do think about, oh, how many hours did I put on it? I've got to break down what's a good hourly wage for me or, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's it's it doesn't just begin and end with that, right. you know, two hours that you right. put into it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about it because I have a great example of how I was doing something that I was not getting paid for what it was really worth. And and at one time I was doing horsehair jewelry and I was making the jewelry. And when I started out, I, I mean, I was charging like $50 or $75 for these bracelets and they're beautiful. And I, you know, I can say I did a really nice job with them, but I kind of got burnt out doing it because I really wasn't making that much money on on it by the time I took the time to do it and got the supplies for it and everything. And at the end of the day, I was like, oh, it's not really worth it to keep doing it. Meanwhile, I'm like, you know, probably if I had asked a, a good amount of money, because this is something that people would be willing to pay well for, um, you know, a keepsake of their horse uh, in the long term, I probably wouldn't have gotten burnt out and I wouldn't have been like annoyed doing it. For sure. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people talk about how important and how much they value their time. You know, they want to be able to balance life and balance work with it. And that, I think, goes into the conversation as well. It's it's value to you and value to your customer. I think there's so many factors that go into pricing beyond, like you said, just the hours you put into it or how much you spend on raw materials or something like that. So um, it was great to hear that from someone and, and have a conversation about it and hope that it can help someone else, you know, make decisions on that as well. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love about doing this podcast because you never know what kind of like great piece of information you're going to get from somebody from asking like a simple question. Right. right. And, that, and that could be applied to someplace else. So many times I'm surprised at the end of, of our recordings when we've heard something from somebody that we're like, Oh wow. Yeah. That, that really makes a lot of sense. And we haven't heard that before. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, one of my favorite things about doing this. Right. And it never has anything to do with like what their job is or why we ask them to come on the podcast usually. Right. right. Yeah. I know. So, it's, I love it's, that. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I've got to run because I have a meeting to get to. Okay. So we're going to wrap up for the, this session and you can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review so other people can find us as well. You can have all 20-plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go value your worth.